Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, S.E. Fleenor, and the first comic I ever read was Palomar. I'm Sarah Century. The first comic I ever read was All the Comics. Today we have a question from Tad, or Thad. I'm so sorry, I don't know which one. I was wondering if either of you have read any work by Sophie Campbell, and if you're a fan. And in particular, wanted to know about... Sophie's run on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, knowing that there's been a lot of people talking about how somehow Sophie has a trans agenda and people are criticizing the work and wants to know what we think of all that. Ah, so glad you asked. (laughs) What I think is people are jerks. (laughs) That's the first thing I think. And the second thing I think is Sophie Campbell's brilliant. Yeah, I've been reading Sophie Campbell for a really long time. Um, Sophie Campbell did the Wet Moon series, which is definitely considered to be an indie queer classic. It goes for several volumes. You get to see a lot of great art, everything that we know Sophie Campbell for today. A lot of like those interpersonal relationships. It's very soap opera-esque, and I want to make sure that everybody understands that I love soap operas, and that is 100% a good thing for me. And yeah, so if you're interested in that, I would say check out Wet Moon, just a general statement to everybody. Also, Sophie Campbell was the artist on the amazing comic about Glory, which was Glory, the Once and Future Destroyer, which is so short-lived and needed to be so, so much longer to appease me. But it, I believe, goes for 10 or 12 issues, maybe a few more. Who knows? It's two volumes. You can find it easily on Comixology. You can order it for really cheap, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It was written by Joseph Keating. And that is an incredible book. And you get to see Glory be just ripped and so giant and looks like somebody who's been a warrior and is an alien warrior, right? Has all of the muscles and is war-torn, covered with scars. Just, it's so, so good to see. So that was another thing that Sophie Campbell did that was just brilliant. She did this Leonardo book. It was the Ninja Turtles macro series, I believe was the name of it. And it was just one issue for each of the Ninja Turtles. And she did the Leonardo issue and it was badass. So after I read that, I was so into reading the ongoing by Sophie Campbell. (laughs) It was like a commercial for me or something that I actually got really (laughs) into. I was just like, oh my God, like this person is going to be doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh my God. Because I've always loved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know? I mean, there's jerks in the world who have always loved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I'm in the fandom too. And so I'm just like, I've been reading this stuff since I was a kid also. And I loved the fact that Sophie Campbell came onto the book. I mean, the City at War story that came before Sophie Campbell's run was really 
really good. Like, don't get oh, me wrong. Yeah. That stuff was awesome. I mean, Ninja Turtle comics are almost always awesome. There's tons of really, really good Ninja Turtle comics out there. So you can go look for them and you'll find something really good. This modern series, it hits 100. And then after that, Sophie Campbell takes up the reins, right? I mean, how much more hype could I get? Like, they kill Splinter. <laughs> like, you know, there's all of this stuff. I was just so stoked on it. So I remember even for, like, weeks and weeks before this even happened, I was just like, oh, yeah, like, on Twitter or something, being like, this is going to be the best. And it is. You read it. It's so good. It's so good. I love it. Well, you reviewed it, actually, also for um, our Patreon subscribers. You did a single-issue review about it, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, it was more than a single issue. It was like four issues or something. But yeah, I did that. I was so stoked on the series and it's been one of the ones on my pool list for a while. Like I was reading the run before this as well. And as I say, like with my praise for Sophie Campbell, I don't want to sell that one short because all of that stuff was really good. Yeah, totally. Well, it's it's a good run. Yes. Sophie Campbell gets to go in this totally different direction. So it's like post Splinter, what the hell are they going to do? You know, Splinter dies and it turns out none of them are dealing with it very well. And some of them aren't dealing with it at all. You know, Donatello, Mm -hmm. of course, is writing in his journal and being like, I'm going to write a sci-fi novel and like all of this. And (laughs) he's like, Mikey's obsessed with his cat and like won't leave his bedroom. Leonardo won't talk to anybody about anything. You know, Raphael's become a literal vigilante. Like, I just wish we could all talk. And the way, of course, that Donatello, who is 100% the heart of the team, does that is he goes to find April, you know? Mm-hmm. He goes to start a dialogue with April again, who's been just overworked and hasn't been able to talk to anybody just because she's swamped with her new job. I mean, this is the setup beyond setups. I love this. Well, and it's right after the bomb went off, the mutant bomb that turned yes. a ton of people into mutanimals. Yes, including Mona Lisa, who is the new mm-hmm. character that got introduced. And Mona Lisa is amazing. So cool. Love Mona Lisa. They're all so cool. Like, there's so many badass Mm. characters who are just, like, powerful women who are, you know, cat women and fox women and some kind of cool lizard women. And they're just, like, badasses. And I love all of them. Complicated political stuff going on. Like... There's a whole thing where, you know, basically they're being kept in what amounts to ghettos, I guess, basically just being kept in these like terrible parts of town. And they're like, well, you can't leave this part of town because maybe you're infected and maybe you'll be able to spread it. So, I mean, for quarantine, I know that Sophie Campbell had no idea like this was going to happen, but this is a fairly great thing to read during quarantine for me, honestly. I was just like, oh yeah, this is hitting all the notes. (laughs) Like, It's so beautiful and it's so much about the importance of connection and the importance of being there for one another through hard times, whether that be like your dad dying, which is like a real thing that happens to most people and, or like, you know, a bomb going off and turning you into a mutant animal, which I think is a thing that happens to fewer people, but still, (laughs) we'll see. I don't know. Right. Well, TBD, but it's pretty incredible how intimate this Campbell run is. I loved seeing them cry about Splinter dying. I loved seeing them be like, I'm sorry, I didn't reach out to you. I didn't know what to say because that's my experience when I've been through intense grief. No one knows what to do or say and nothing is going to make it feel better. So you do the best you can and sometimes you make great choices and sometimes you become a vigilante. You know, like it's understandable that they'd have different experiences. And I thought it was kind of cool to break them up. When we catch up with them in 101, they are broken up. 
And that is like a big moment for them of figuring out like, who am I if I am not with my brothers? And, you know, the conclusion they come to and the choices they make are all super progressive and, and revolutionary and about like creating community. And that to me feels so good. Like they think it's just, they're like, oh, I'm going to go work feeding people who are hungry. That is a helpful thing I can do. And it's like, yes, yes, that is a helpful thing you can do. Good job, you know? Raphael gets called out and he deserves to be called out. Oh, definitely. <laughs> what was the name of the new turtle? The woman yes, turtle? Yes, the new turtle is Jenny. She's awesome. Yes, What's Jenny is incredible. What's about Jenny? Jenny's like, you're a dick, basically. I mean, she doesn't say those words, but that's basically what she says to Raphael and is like, I've been trying to connect with you. And he's like, ah, fuck. He ah. loses his shit on her. Yeah. He goes off and is like, nobody ever cared about you. The only reason that you were ever with us is because Splinter felt bad for you and just goes off on oh, her. And terrible. then, of course, has to be like... Oh, I am a piece of garbage. I am Raphael, the Ninja Turtle, who is the most piece of garbage. (laughs) I was going to say, I really identify with Raphael, so I love you shit-talking him. (laughs) Whenever I was a little kid and I saw the Ninja Turtles movie and whenever Raphael is like, damn, because he like loses his sigh, I was like, that guy is cool. He says curse words and stuff. And he has a bad temper and hangs out with Casey Jones and like all of this, right? (laughs) So to me, that was like, he's the coolest Ninja Turtle that there is. I've always, always, always loved the Ninja Turtles. I got into this franchise, I believe, during cartoon era, but I have read the comics later and the comics are all so, so good. You know, like it starts with this kind of spoof comic almost, but it's a spoof that pulls out all the stops that first Ninja Turtles issue where like they just didn't know if it was ever going to have an issue two or anything. (laughs) And so you have this bizarre independent comic that's totally 100%, you know, samurai movies, Frank Miller comics, you know, all of that come together to make this franchise. And I was on a episode of Shelf Dust Presents talking about the first issue of Ninja Turtles pretty recently. And it basically is just being like, yeah, I mean, this could have just been a blink of the eye. And then you never heard of it again, you know, like this could have just been one of those independent comics. There's independent comics like that all of the time. So it's like, well, what makes Ninja Turtles work? And it's totally because we have these archetypes, right? So you have Splinter, you know, and then the four brothers. And they're all brothers, you know, which is just an immediate beautiful setup it gives us a lot to play with because they have such emotional investment in each other and they Mm -hmm. play off of each other so well and they have their arguments that are just so interesting to watch as an audience member right you know you love seeing these specific archetypes because it really is just like watching a Kurosawa film or something yeah exactly here's these eight different kinds of person (laughs) and then here's their mission that they have together and how are they going to get there like the biggest problem in that is going to be their own personalities and the way Mm. that they interact with each other, right? That's always what Ninja Turtles is about, in my opinion. And, I mean, Sophie Campbell, who does it better? It kind of rejuvenates the franchise for me, I think. So there are these little kids who also are weasels. They are weasel human hybrids. (laughs) I love them so much. I love them so much. They are the literal best. They are kind of punks. People are like, you're going to do evil things for us and you don't have any direction in life. You know, they're totally recruiting them or whatever, like kind of grooming them to be criminals. 
which, you know, we see in real life sometimes. But in this story, it's weasel kids. And the weasel kids are so cute because they just keep running in and breaking things and being like, I'm going to steal all the food. And then, like, they run away. And then, of course, they get scolded for it and they feel bad. They're just like the cutest little terrible children you've ever heard of in your life. They are very adorable. They usually wear tough guy outfits. It's oh my so God, gosh so dang cute. cute. Oh my God, the Moppets, the Moppet weasels. Uh, and then they're friends with this like other little kid who oh my God. they keep seeing at the food pantry or the soup kitchen, I should say, but the kid won't stay and get the food because the kid's really scared. And then they like find the weasels and the kid and they think that the mutanimals have created some new weapon because no one knows what to expect. No one knows what would happen if this many people were turned into mutant animals. So they don't know that they're babies at first. And then they like talk to them and they're like, you're babies. You're and little it's what, kids. Uh, and it ends up being like this defining moment for like all of the characters where they're like, oh, hell no. You are not going to create little baby soldiers to, you know, help you trade for goods with like humans. Like that's that's ridiculous. But then like the little one who's like kind of like a white turtle looking creature. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They're like, okay, what's everyone's names? And and that little one's like, I don't have a name. And I just died. I died. I was just weeping, just weeping, because they're like, we're going to help you find a cool name. And I was like, oh, my Aww. God. Weasel babies. I love them. I love the whole setup for them. And the fact that it pushed a lot of moral event horizons for people. So then you have, you know, Ginny having to be more aggressive. Ginny and Mona Lisa (laughs) have such a cute friendship. Ginny's super high on guard the whole time, and Mona Lisa's just kind of a nerd, you know, and is just like, yeah, cool. I used to do this and this. Did you ever do that? And Ginny's just like, I only know the warrior way. (laughs) Like, kind of having these, like, (laughs) adorable interactions with each other. They have a lot of, you know, uh, chemistry, those two. I'm like, they've got a date. Yeah, and it's totally just cute because it's, it's like so even cute. if they never go in that direction, it's just such a meet cute, right? Like they both oh, are just yeah. being like, let's be friends. And you can tell that even though Ginny is all standoffish and gruff, well, I mean, she's been around boys for like the last like bunch of time. And then also, even though she's like that, even though she's, you know, brave warrior and totally protects Mona Lisa, puts her life on the line for Mona Lisa immediately right after meeting her. She likes her and wants to be friends with her, but she doesn't totally know how to do that. Yeah, she doesn't know how to connect. (laughs) Yeah, her inability to connect is really cute and sweet, and I just loved it so, so much. It's so good. And it was why I also extra wanted to punch Raphael when he came in and like yelled (laughs) at her, because I was like, are you serious? She just did so good. Come on, man. yeah. I mean, there's so many great characters. And one of my favorites is Sally, who yeah. is like this really tall, butch, cat woman person. Punk. And like, she's a mutant so animal. She's got the great asymmetrical hair. She's got piercings. She's super duper punk. And she's one of the people, it's like, she's the one who's like, oh, hell no, the mutanimals are over. If you are selling little kids to humans, we're done. And Hob, who's like the big, you know, head of the mutanimals, is like, I'll say when we're done. And she's like, you want to step up to me? And he's like, 
uh, I gotta go. Bye. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's so cool and terrifying, and I have a very big crush on her. Yes. And she's the best. And yes. there's, like, this super cute moment at the end of, like, 105, the most recent that's been released, I think, at the time of recording. And the brothers are realizing they can go do things because they live in this place that is only mute animals. Like they can go out in public. They can go to a concert. They can go to the store and they don't have to have a costume on. They can just go enjoy themselves. And so there's this moment when like the whole crew is rolling up to a club and they like to go to a punk concert and they look so queer. Like it looks like the whole rainbow of queer people. <laughs> you know, it's like the punk, the like nerd, the <laughs> like yeah. one who doesn't know how had a dress the one who's like dressing to impress it's just like ah, the whole thing is so cute I'm obsessed so am I so like this comic is great so there's no you can't really say like oh this isn't TMNT like you can't say anything like that because I think Sophie Campbell is 100% just doing things that carry out the rest of the story. Yeah, I mean, what else are you going to do? Like, they're dead. It has died. a connotation to trans life, you know, like you yeah. have mutations and stuff like that. People becoming things when they used to be like this, you know. I just think that that intrinsically has trans overtones, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, any transformation, any kind of major physical transformation, emotional transformation, mental transformation to me always reads coded trans. Of course. And it's like, you know, maybe not that simple blah 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 like we're talking about genre and that goes any number of terrible directions but in this obviously having a trans creator come into a franchise like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is not just groundbreaking you know not just something that is like needed and necessary and what we want to see in more franchises but it also is something that makes perfect sense for the damn story yeah exactly <laughs> Because, I mean, I haven't really heard that that much. I haven't really heard that many people talk about this run, unfortunately, which is part of why we just wanted to answer this question in full and make sure that we really are pro this run <laughs> because we love it. It is incredible. And I just think that, you know, if somebody is angry at Sophie Campbell doing this comic, I would just say, like, maybe question that, I guess, because there is not anything in this comic that doesn't read like just a great continuation of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise. And as I say, I've been reading this comic at least as long as you have, you know, no matter who you are, because I've been <laughs> reading them since I was a kid and the franchise came out, you know? You can't be like, oh, like Sophie Campbell's ruining my childhood whenever like Sophie Campbell obviously loves this franchise. Oh my God, so clearly. Pays so much attention to it and has really nuanced takes on these characters that you could very easily just define as archetypes. You could be like, oh, here's the party guy, here's like the poet, you know, here's the one who's a leader, here's the one that's like the challenge to the leadership. Those are very simple archetypes. And in Sophie Campbell's takes on these characters, like the reason that that Leonardo comic stood out to me so much was I was like, this guy is normally reduced to just being the Cyclops of the team, you know, boring, leader, serious, doesn't care, you know, about human emotions, blah, 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 like all of that stuff. And I was just like, this is a continuation of his character that makes him make more sense, you know, makes everybody yeah, yeah. have a better dynamic and interplay better with each other. I would say that you're absolutely right. And, and in this run, it feels like Campbell's work just reinforces the archetypes and shows, because all archetypes have another side of them, at least one, many different sides. The implications of what it means to always be the leader, right? Like, she really is exploring that here. And to me, it's like, 
I mean, sure, there are other directions you could take it after the two major events, or the three major events that happen at the end of City at War. But this is perfect. This is seamless. It makes perfect sense. It's totally different, but totally similar. Or, you know, it's like it feels congruous with it. But also, oh, yeah. like, it's going in a new direction. Because why would you want the same thing for forever? We should go in new directions as long as they make sense, you know, and they connect to what comes before. And that's what this is. This To me, this is like an exemplar of how you pick up a storyline and, and take it forward in interesting, dynamic, beautiful. I mean, the art is just out of control, beautiful. It is just lovely. And it's exactly the kind of story I want to be reading. So, you know, whatever. People hate shit and that's their prerogative. And if, you know, the trans agenda thing, it's like the only thing I can think to say in response to that is like, could not this world use more transness? Could it not use a trans agenda to help all y'all deal with your fucking bullshit? You know, like we could all use more transness. So if that's their biggest complaint, then like that's a win, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, I actually just read a tweet from Sophie Campbell's Twitter, and she was noting that, you know, eventually she's going to have to write herself out of the series. She was talking about planning out to issue 113 and 114 and being like, eventually I'm going to have to figure out how I can leave. (laughs) Like, I can't just do this for the rest of my life. And I just thought that that was actually almost reassuring because I was like, oh, we're going to make it to 13 or 14. Great. Awesome. If I can get that many issues, then that's a win for me, definitely. Hell yeah. And, you know, I I just kind of want her to do it as long as she wants to do it. Because Mm -hmm. as you say, I mean, this is a franchise that certainly could use a lot more trans people writing, you know, like a lot of just diversity behind the scenes is always great. And having an agenda around that is like, okay, I I guess that, you know, (laughs) this story about fucking mutant ninja turtles is too trans for you. All right, got it. Like, I don't really know what to tell you, you know, like it's definitely too aggressive. And also this run's going to be gone in a blink of an eye. So why don't you just try to get into it for the love of God? (laughs) Like, Or just check out of it for like a year, you know, like you don't have that long to wait. No run lasts that long these days people don't stay on comics for like 17 years like chris claremont did on the x-men or something you know so it's just like get over it i don't know what to tell you you might as well just relax it's gonna end soon but you know in the meantime it's doing a lot of really cool stuff so why don't you read it (laughs) i know and, and for me it's like a i refuse to like engage with things like gay agenda queer agenda trans agenda as if that's a negative yeah like i think that's always a positive like, what are you even talking about? Like, you don't this know just what such you're a small about. amount of the population anyway. Like, what agenda do you think that we have? Like, our agenda is to, like, literally to live day to day. Like, I don't, like, <laughs> I don't really know what agenda we're supposed to have. If you try to oh, get a bunch of lesbians in a room together to talk about agendas, that's like herding cats straight up. So, like, I will tell you the only agenda that I think we all have is to be able to create a space for future queer and trans people to be alive and ourselves. Now, and future. That's the agenda. And I I don't really see a problem with that. I think that's a good Mm -hmm. thing. And it seems to me that when I read these issues, nothing about it was like, oh, this is so specifically trans in a way this comic was not before. The transness of this comic is in the mutantness, is in the transformationness of it all. And yes, like you said, there can be problematic ways of interpreting that. And guess what? You can be a dick. Go ahead. I don't care. But 
this is not meant to be that. This is solely someone taking a story and expanding it. So I call bullshit. (laughs) I mean, same. And of course, that was the immediate reaction of seeing something like trans agenda. Of course, we're going to immediately be like, (laughs) shut up. (laughs) Um, But like, and also just get out of my face, you know. But also it's just like how many comics right now are on the shelves that are written by trans writers? There's a few. There is not that many. So chill out. You are going to have to share space. It's not yours. So, so much of it has just been under the same creative team and stuff like that. Kevin Eastman has been involved, you know, and is still involved and is still like overseeing stories and stuff. So like, who is getting betrayed here just out of curiosity, you know, like what is happening? It's a really good run, you know, let's just leave it at that. Yeah, whatever reason, whatever thing, it doesn't matter in the end because the story's really fucking good. And the truth is to have a really good story written by a trans author is just something to celebrate. And Any creation by trans folks is worth celebrating, and anything that's good is worth celebrating. And this is both. (laughs) It is all such a no-brainer. Like to me, I'm like, what is there to dislike? Oh, the characters are really dynamic and interesting. Oh, the art is very beautiful. Oh, it grapples with some major life-changing event that often in comics we're like, oh, that thing that happened didn't happen. This time we're saying, okay, it did happen, and now there are results. Like, that's a win. This is all a win. This is a no-brainer. Go pick yeah. it up. It is so much fun. It is worth reading. It's so funny. It's so delicate and dynamic and complex and intimate. And it's just the best. I love it. I did not expect to open up a Ninja Turtles comic in 2020 and be like, oh, here's a profound study on grief. <laughs> but that is exactly what happened. So the joke's on me. Um, but yeah, all in agreement. We both loved this. Check it out. Thanks for your question. everybody did you know that there is a patreon for this podcast and the podcast always needs donations and more viewers and listeners and supporters so you can sign up for us (laughs) just us in general (laughs) at www.patreon.com slash bitches on comics which you cannot search p.s just so you know it has to be slash bitches on comics you got to type it in You've got to do that extra work. But sometimes going the extra mile, it's for the best. It helps you feel good. It helps you feel like you've really accomplished something. And that's what we want to help you with today. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. 
On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. The comic of the week is Pretty Deadly. Written by Kelly Sue DeConnick. Art by Emma Rios. Colors by Jordi Belair. Letters by Clayton Cowles. What a fucking dream team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is ridiculous. This is just what were you trying to prove? Like, you definitely. <laughs> you didn't have to go that hard. Yeah, you really did. But I am extremely grateful because this comic is another one of those comics. It's just every detail of it is so good. It's on everybody's must read, you know. I remember whenever I first heard about this and I was like, yeah, Kelly Sudaconic being a genius. I don't need to pick it up right now. Like, I'll get around to it. Like, I've read all of the other ones, you know. It wasn't on my immediate read list. But whenever I finally picked it up, I was like, this is kind of her best comic in a lot of ways because it brings in all of these themes that she toys with across the board. Like she does Aquaman and kind of gets into this guy who is a little bit magical, you know, and that is here. Like that happens in this comic. And then, you know, all of the stuff that we saw in Bitch Planet and the stuff that we saw in Captain Marvel even. I mean, and those comics are all brilliant. This comic, to me, is if I was going to give somebody an idea of what Kelly Sue DeConnick's writing style is, I'd be like, here's Pretty Deadly Volume 1. It's so good. So it's a weird Western about a group of people. (laughs) I'm like, how do I describe this plot? Because it is so interconnected. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil anything. But it's about a group of people who are sort of trying to navigate the West people of all kinds of races, ethnicities, genders, and they're being tracked by a writer. And they're like, who's the writer? And this guy knows but won't tell. There's like a little girl he's trying to protect. It's very unclear why she needs protection. And then it becomes clear and it's like, holy fucking shit, goddamn it, KSD. This is so fucking good. (laughs) And the art is breathtaking. Oh my God. It's clear that it was a conversation, right? Like the writing and the art and the colors were all a conversation between people who love what they made. Oh yeah. And we've talked about Jordi Belair before and how much we really love her work and she's so, so good. And then Emma Rios on pencils, that team is so, so good. And then the way that they bounce off of these ideas because there's these double page spreads where you're just like oh my god i don't know what the script said but it couldn't have said this right like it it must have said something that was you know the idea of this a little bit but you can just see them leveling each other up at every turn right yes yes you can almost see the conversation just happening on the page because you see the way that it just gets better and better every step of the way completely agree and i i think that some of the the most exciting parts are when like there's a flood and the way that the water moves on the page and that is the writing that is the inks and that is the colors and they are together in just such a seamless beautiful representation of movement of the challenges people faced in this sort of period of time in the west and what racism looks like at this time in the west and it's just like how the fuck are you doing that oh i don't know you're all fucking geniuses this is so good it's so good i am obsessed with pretty deadly (laughs) oh my god and the desert looks like a desert which is very rare in comics i think that a lot of times when people aren't from the desert or haven't spent a lot of time there they think of the desert as being this kind of desolate and dead land 
And that is absolutely not the case, as a lot of people who have gone to the desert (laughs) at all (laughs) would know, you know, and we're talking specifically, I guess, about the Southwest, but there's so much life there. And in this, you see Jordi Beller's colors, like the reds and the browns and all of these beautiful colors, like the sky, obviously. There's these gorgeous sunsets in this and, you know, sunrises in this comic. The sky always looks beautiful. But also the earth looks really equally beautiful. And so I just think that that just shows a level of care that was taken with this because a lot of artists don't do that. (laughs) Like a lot of artists are just like, yeah, sand, it's brown. Or like maybe a little bit yellow. Yeah, Uh I completely agree. I think that that is what makes it feel real. It feels like a really real story because instead of treating it like a place of lack, the desert is a place of so many resources and of of resourceful beings, beings that can survive beyond what most of us need to be alive. And I think it echoes the themes of the story really well. And I think there's a reason that the settings are so robust and so alive. And it's mm-hmm. uh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And it is not just one volume. There's more than one volume. It's an ongoing kind of <laughs> with breaks. Well, they now they're doing Pretty Deadly the Rat. Right. Which I, I haven't been reading. There was a book too. And then there's that, right? Like yeah, I think that there, there's right. three volumes. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this is the first one I've read. I just read it. So that would explain like a little bit why I haven't dived in and also the fact that we read like literally oh my one God, billion right? comic books for this podcast yeah oh we read so many and you know what's great about that is is that we end up doing so many of these comic of the weeks and it's so lovely to be able to find the ones that i kind of was putting off you know and stuff like that and i totally. think totally pretty deadly was definitely one of those comics for me where i was like yeah kelly Sudaconic, i get it you're brilliant like i don't have to read every time you're brilliant you know like how you kind of do with writers that you really love sometimes it's like you know something's going to be good and so you're just like i'll get to it when i get to it and yeah i don't know i thought that this was all of the best things about weird western it corrected a lot of the shit that i don't like to see in westerns (laughs) like it's deeply feminist like the women and and femme characters you know there's a character that i absolutely read as non-binary i think the way that she interacts with the world feels very non-binary which character Ginny. I read Ginny as non-binary. Yeah, sure. I mean, that makes sense. And also just on every level, a super interesting character. So yeah, I wonder if there's been any discussion about that. I guess we'll have to see whenever we read the other volumes, but. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, and I think what's, what's so cool about it is that they really get into like death mythos. And I love death and gods of death and Hades and, you know, Persephone. Like, all that shit is my fucking jam. I think it's yours, too. (laughs) Yeah, the rabbit skeleton that's, like, talking at the beginning. Oh, my God. The narrators are, like, these two animals that are, you know, alive or not. Who knows? (laughs) It's so carefully wrought. I love when I read something and at the end of the first issue, I'm like, I am not sure I know what's happening but goddamn if I don't want to read more. And I feel like it pays off so well in this first volume. The Ginny versus Alice fights, I was just Ugh. dying. Those are so, so good. I also ship it. <laughs> yeah, ship it. Happy to ship it, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, this it was just so good. If you have any interest whatsoever in westerns and, you know, probably have a lot of the same problems that we have, I guess, with rampant racism in westerns, that's uh, not so much a thing here. It's a kind of a much more respectful take. And I appreciate that because I love westerns. I love the idea of westerns, I guess, is probably the best way to say that. But, you know, this was kind of the idea of westerns taken to a horror level, kind of, and kind of also a fan story so it combines all kinds of stuff to make this brilliant brilliant comic absolutely you must catch it at least volume one of pretty deadly but you're gonna want to read the rest after you do i know that i did (laughs) yeah i do we're gonna get to it don't worry a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H Y P E R T H E T I C A L.